Hello there, podcast fans and lovers of learning. This is Andrew Bray, the son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, Andrew. That I always love when you say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that that in the world of the careers that you've made for yourself, you're always going to be um, a number one mom. <laughs> and I love that you extend that to the people around you. You're always interested in people's stories and you put so much care into the connections you make. Oh, I, I know. I'm so lucky though. The people that want to be on my show, I some days I have to pinch myself and go, really? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, would you like to tell us a little bit, uh, before you pitch yourself again, would you like to tell us a little bit about this upcoming conversation? Oh, it's Tim Taylor. I actually saw him at South by Southwest EDU, and I went, oh my gosh, that guy's he's amazing. And then I get a call, would you like to be, can I be on your show? And I'm like, of course, oh my goodness. So we had a nice talk first. And I learned about his background and being CEO, founder of America Succeeds. It's, I, I don't want to give it all away because I want to, I want people to listen, but it is amazing what they're doing and how they're developing these, they've developed these durable skills. But he told me another story before he did this, he was actually had a nonprofit. It was teaching golf to underprivileged kids. And it, I mean, I mean, there's so much he's done that I want people to really get to know Tim. He's just amazing. All right, Smiley. Everybody can't see your smile right now. If you haven't seen Barbara Bray on video, <laughs> then uh, you're in for a treat, everybody, because uh, she's got a huge Aww. smile. But enough of that segue. Let's stay tuned for a conversation with Tim Taylor and Barbara Bray. Well, I have a wonderful surprise for you. This is going to be a great conversation. You're just going to love it. I'm so happy you are here, Tim Taylor. Well, thank you so much. I couldn't be any more excited to be here. I just, I mean, when we talked before, I just, I didn't even realize all the things that you're doing. And I want the audience to know everything about you and America Succeeds. Actually, I want to boast about you just a little bit. Because my audience, I just want them to make sure they know you know, at least a little bit about you and then we'll delve into it. Okay. That sounds great. Okay. Tim Taylor is the founder of America Succeeds, whose vision is about building public education systems to prepare every student to succeed in the competitive global economy and contribute in to their local community. I love that. <laughs> I, we've been trying to do this for how many years? Yeah, it's been it's been a little while. Thank you. Um, it's uh, it's it's fun to talk to you. Usually, my mom is the only one who's that excited about uh, an intro for me. So uh, this, is, this is this is great. I'm probably the same age as your mom, so watch it. <laughs> I just love. I mean, this is even your mission. I'm just going to say what the mission is: is to engage business leaders in championing championing education systems that create opportunities for all learners to succeed. Now, you know, I've been doing personalized learning and trying this for, I think, for 32, 30, maybe more years to transform education. And now you're doing something and you've put something together with the ideas 
that I just cannot wait to talk about and I want people to really know about them. This is wonderful, Tim. Well, thank you. This is uh, we've we've been at this a long time as well, and um, it's uh, it's not an easy task. The system is pretty resistant to change, mm-hmm. um, but if we're really going to make sure that all kids have a, an opportunity to be successful in today's world, mm-hmm. both from my personal background and my professional background, I believe it starts with education. Definitely, we all started with teachers. Every profession starts with a teacher, and we sometimes forget about that. So the the one thing I have here is also one of the issues they're looking to remediate is the lack of systems to validate post-secondary credentials and skill sets obtained by learners without traditional college training. Now, some people might be upset about that, but I I really want them to hear it because it's not just K-12, it's K-20 that we have to look at. Well, there's there's 70% of the U.S. population that doesn't have a, a four-year degree or even a two-year degree, yet, right? And so we're really going to make a, a, a country that works for everybody and give everybody a chance to be successful. We're going to have to work with, with the entire spectrum and the folks who take non-traditional pathways. Um, and there's an exploding market right now of post-secondary options. Um, you have a fall, falling college going rate. You have a declining birth rate. You have a lot of things that are happening outside of the mm-hmm. system uh, that are putting pressure on the system. And people are questioning the value of a four-year degree as it continues to rise. Um, and what's great is that there's so many other options out there. And now it's trying to make sure that, that, that they're really valid and it gives kids a shot and there's some ROI to those things. And there's, there, there are predatory programs out there as well. And so... Um, mm. Trying to make sure a system works for everybody is is uh, is a lot of our work um, and uh, not particularly easy, but um, it's something we believe in. Well, I, uh, I'm so excited about this conversation. I was just talking to someone just yesterday about the credentialing and um, skills. And when you mentioned durable skills, we're going to talk about that because I think people really need to know the breadth of it and what it can do. But I always like to start with your why, because I know your why around America succeeds, but you're just personal. What is this, your personal and professional why? Yeah. Um, so uh, I have had a, had a sign in my office for years that says, I wake up every day determined to change the world and have one hell of a good time. <laughs> and sometimes it makes planning the day a little difficult. <laughs> I love that. It's a, uh, it's a quote by E.B. White, and um, and uh, I think that really sums it up. Um, we moved to Colorado, uh, no friends, no family, no job. It was, uh, we tell people we pulled our rats from the race. We moved here from Washington, D.C., and uh, that was a lifestyle nice. choice. And um, my career, uh, this is the third nonprofit that I've launched, and uh, I passionately believe you know, with with privilege comes great expectation, and and I believe that that there's an opportunity that I can do something to make the world a little better. And um, so, uh, <laughs> that that's a little bit of background. I like that. I mean, well, that's a little because you have a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I'm. Did you always live in Washington D.C. before you went to Colorado, or did you move around? Or? Yeah. So I was. I was born in Washington D.C. Actually, uh, one of one of the few, and uh, grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington D.C. And uh, went to college in Virginia, and then uh, was a ski bum in college between college and grad school. But went back to D.C. for grad school, mm. and then wound up working on Capitol Hill. So, um, so steeped in in the Washington D.C. Uh, 
culture and um, and really had a phenomenal experience. And I think it paved the way for a lot of the things that that I have done today. I had bosses who very much believed in the power of networking and the types of skills that you take with you from job to job, mm. regarding, you know, not necessarily on the technical side, but um, but how you interact and how you show up in the world, uh, which is uh, which reeks of the durable skills work that we're doing now. But um, but that was that's sort of the, the the two parts of my East Coast existence and then the Mountain West. Well, I don't know if I told you, maybe I did, but I started I grew up I was born in Washington, D.C., I grew up in Maryland in Silver Spring and Bethesda area and went to high school there. But also my mom was a courtroom artist and was a reporter. So I was depth, you know, in, it was, I grew up in the sixties there, you know, like when all the things were happening, it was really exciting. And, but it does change you when you move from coast to coast. For me, I moved to California and but I have that foundation, like you said. You have that foundation. But you went back to Capitol Hill. I didn't do that. I... <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's funny, I've, I've joked in in the past, right? That the that national news was our local news yeah, uh, yeah. when you when you were there, right? Yeah. Um, so um, the other the very DC thing is to announce which hospital you were born in in DC. Which which hospital Sibley. were you born? Same here. No. How about that? Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're kidding. <laughs> That's great. Oh my, uh, oh my gosh. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. In fact, I found out later in life I had polio and had to go back there when I was two. And uh, But I'm okay. But the only problem is I'm short and have one leg shorter than the other and I limp a little. Oh. <laughs> I, so someone said, oh, that's because you had polio. I said, oh, good. I have something to blame it on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We all have our stories, right? That's right. That's right. But your story is amazing. I mean, so what made you go to Colorado? What happened? Was it for that where you went yeah, skiing? Was, is that kind of when you went? Yeah, I I, uh, I, I was bit by the bug. Um, I I lived in Vail um, for, for almost a year in between college and grad school. And uh, it's the time of my life that my parents refer to as I was working from the neck down. <laughs> Uh, I was printing. I was printing T-shirts in a T-shirt shop and skiing five days a week. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, I, I would go back and do it again in a heartbeat if my knees could hold up. Oh my gosh, but, uh, that is so funny. Okay, there's too many parallels in my life. My daughter lives in Truckee near Tahoe, and she made her way. One of her jobs was making, doing, painting T-shirts. <laughs> It's, it's too weird. We're talking about things that are kind of, I mean, That's my so poor audience, they don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm having fun in learning more about you. So then how did, uh, did Americans disease, you had other nonprofits before this, you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we literally moved to Colorado. My wife and I got engaged and thought that the lifestyle in, in Colorado was, was more appealing and uh, so we picked up and moved and uh, we we just started from scratch, just the two of us. And it was uh, it turned out to be wonderful. We've met uh, our best family friends. Our kids have grown up together. We vacation with the with the same group of families um, and uh, and we moved mostly for the, the lifestyle uh, to ski and hike mm. and fish uh, and, and be outdoors um, oh. and great live music. We have Red Rocks here oh. and a live music junkie. So um, it had everything we were looking for. So the the uh, as, as part of the 
leave the world better and have one hell of a good time. Uh, it was a, it was a good spot to land, uh, at least for the one hell of a good time part. And then we built the uh, leave the world better than we found it part. Oh, well, that's OK, because you're doing you said you had. Um, is that why you started nonprofit there or were you working in something doing something else before that? I, I started as a as a lobbyist in the healthcare industry when we first moved here. One of my passions was was golf, and I played at a city course. and And we, I used to look, and and there were a bunch of urban inner city kids who would walk around this portion of the golf course. And it just struck me that you know, here's this great asset that's sitting in the middle of a city, and a lot of kids who don't have access to it. And it, I found it to be such a great game. You know, it teaches honor and etiquette and respect and some of these other things that just great skills. Um, and so I thought, why don't we get a bunch of these kids to come onto the golf course instead of just walking around it and launched a nonprofit, uh, just, just built on my passion with no expertise, no experience, didn't know anybody in the community. It was a terrible idea. Um, but it, but it worked. Uh, and, and, uh, it was, it was a great time in my life and we worked with a lot of amazing kids and, um, and it was really fun to see some transformation in them. So it, what was the name of it? It's called Open Fairways. It sort of existed before the first tee made it out west. So um, listeners may be be familiar with the the first tee. Um, It's Masters week this week. So uh, so the first tee has a a role even with the the Masters. And um, that was still still in its infancy and it hadn't uh, hadn't moved west. And so it was some of the ideas of that. But then we, we really, instead of just sort of having it open to any kid, we went and actually partnered with Homes for abused and neglected kids. Oh. Uh, we worked with a lot of a lot of group homes, and uh, that was really incredible um, to to see some kids get out. And and again, back to sort of core philosophy. It wasn't that we weren't trying to make the next Tiger Woods. We were trying to give kids a childlike experience and learning a great game and a game you can play for life that has these inherent values that is built into the game. And so hadn't given a lot of thought to how many parallels there were to that work back so long ago in my life and what I'm doing. But, uh, but, the, but the opportunity then came to do this sort of at a, at a level where there was a much greater impact. There were a lot more kids. And so moving in and working with school systems, particularly we started, started as Colorado succeeds and it was uh, state-based work. Uh, and then America succeeds grew out of Colorado succeeds. So when did you start Colorado succeeds? It probably was, almost 18 years ago now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I started as a golfer from, cause my mom was a scratch golfer. She was, that's a, that's a big achievement. She was really good. <laughs> she was East coast champion. <laughs> and then there was wow. me, a caddy who couldn't even hardly hit the ball. So, but I know it, but to get kids is so exciting. I just love that you did that. So Colorado succeeds is now America succeeds. And Colorado Succeeds still exists. They are a state-based organization, oh. and actually there are a number of similar organizations. And America Succeeds started out by helping state-based organizations launch and do s- similar things to what Colorado Succeeds had been doing. And um, we sort of started as this hub and would help the the state-based organizations punch above their weight. So we would provide support, assistance, research, anything that those that those partners needed. And, uh, and and built that network out so that more states had this business voice for education. So 
this was all built on the philosophy that, that, that employers, businesses, the end users of the education system needed to be involved and at the table when we were discussing mm-hmm. education policy. Um, and uh, if, if we wanted kids who were going to be prepared, business had to weigh in and say, here's what we're looking for. Here's what it's going to take. The world has been changing so fast. Um, and right. If, if, if you need to be agile to be able to succeed in today's world, it only makes sense that the system should be just as agile and responsive. And unfortunately, um, it, it has not, uh, the system has been accused of a lot of things, but agility is not usually one of them. No. And it's easier to go back to the old ways. It's just for people. And, and, uh, unfortunately we have some problems now because schools are struggling and trying to keep teachers on. I mean, teachers are leaving and kids are actually public schools are in trouble too here and all over. So I love the idea that you have America succeed so we can look at how can not only uh, employers, but looking at the system and all of us working together. I just, I, I mean, I, when I first learned about it, I can't remember, is it South by Southwest? EDU? That's right. Yeah. And I, I was at your panel and heard what you were talking about, and you just got me so excited about it. I wanted to talk to you. It was, yeah. Well, that's great. There's, I mean, you know, it's, there, there are extraordinary teachers in the, in the system. There are great people mm-hmm. in a system that is sort of built for a bygone time. Um, you know, what we expect somebody to be able to know or do to be successful in today's world has changed. Um, and so, so really that's that, you know, that is our goal is um, we think that policymakers and parents and employers and educators all really want the same thing for our kids. We want to give them these opportunities, yeah. for everybody to fulfill the, their, their potential. Um, and uh, I think that the system sometimes uh, struggles with some, some aspects of that. Um, and, and just even from my own experience with two kids, they were so different, right? That I just, there's not, there's not really a one size fits all. And yet we still have standardized tests mm-hmm. and we still have some of these other things that make it very, very difficult to be in the system. So, so with all due respect to, to educators and, and the folks in your audience who, who are involved in this day to day, we have utmost respect. At the same time, mm-hmm. we think that there can be things that can be done that will improve outcomes for more kids. Um, we're leaving too many kids behind. There's too many low-income black and brown students who are who who fall through the cracks and that's it's not it's not acceptable and what's happening is um what i I don't want to even blame the system is so big that it's hard to change it and what i've seen is that um because i get asked a lot as a consultant to come in and help and they show me the curriculum i said well there's just too much stuff here (laughs) nobody can cover all of this why are we doing this and why are we keeping it so like the same way with single subjects and separate grades and teachers isolated. And, and I think if we can just look at some of the things that you mentioned, which were the durable skills, if we could look at why are we putting so much emphasis on academics when they can Google most of it, and a lot of it isn't relevant anymore. It's got to look like it's, it's meaningful to them. And so if we can make it so they have these skills, they'll figure out how to put it together if we can guide them. But it seems like we're not, I don't know how to change it. So tell us about the durable skills. Yeah, yeah, of course. So 
So, um, right. And to be, to be clear and, and some of what you just said, I just want to, I just want to reiterate and be, um, we're, we're entirely on the same page, right? The reading, writing, arithmetic, those are table stakes. You've got to, you've got to get there. Right. But then, then how we go from there, there's a lot of opportunities to think differently and be innovative about it in the education space. We've, we've tackled and we're, we're very focused. We've got a large initiative around what we call durable skills, as you mentioned, and durable skills, some people call them soft skills, um, although employers really dislike that term. They're anything but soft. Um, some people call them 21st century skills, although we're 23 years into the 21st century, and I think they're going to last a lot longer than that. Mm-hmm. But, but really, durable skills to us is how you use what you know, critical thinking, collaboration, communication, creativity, and then how you show up, leadership, metacognition, growth mindset. And what we did is we came up with 10 terms that we call the durable skills. Those have been crosswalked against all kinds of other terms. They're not, those characteristics are not unique to America Succeeds or, or durable skills. We just sort of consolidated and created a composite version of durable skills. And then our first question was, are these skills necessary in the workforce? And we partnered with Lightcast, formerly MC Burning Glass. And what we did is we took those terms and we ran them through 80 million job descriptions. And we found out that seven of the top 10 most in-demand skills across all jobs, regardless of geography, education attainment level, industry, were these durable skills. These are in-demand. It's right. We, we often call them the second rung on the career ladder. Mm. There's just with, without these types of skills, whatever other technical skills you may have, you just, it really stunts an opportunity to create a, a career path. And so um, we started working with all kinds of employers and started trying to validate and find out, are these really the skills? What do these look like? What do you mean when you, when you say creativity or, or collaboration? And we've created a common lexicon and even definitions around what employers expect somebody to be able to know or do in their first or second job. And that was sort of the secret sauce is that this is true to our mission. This is, this is based on the demand side. Uh, and then our ability as America succeeds and our peers and partners around the country to partner with the supply side, the education system to say, this is really clear. This is what employers are asking for. And we need to make sure that kids are getting these skills as they work their way through the system. You mentioned creativity. Well, the problem is is there's no room for creativity when they have pacing guides and teaching to the standards. And so teachers are not sure how to do this. And if you're looking at the K-12 system, even in the university, there's some things that you, that they have embedded that keep creativity or innovative strategies out. How, how do you do this? Yeah, it's it's um that's a great that's a great example, but really this is um this cuts across the board. Um, when we first yeah. started talking about these skills, some of the pushback we received was there's you know there's so much expectations of of teachers and the system, and there's not enough time in the day to add a critical yeah. thinking or a creativity course or whatever, and that that actually triggered us to really begin thinking about this, right? This is a system that is so steeped in the box of Carnegie units. And the only way you can learn something is to, is to have the seat time and a, and a class that's called whatever it is you want to teach. Mm-hmm. But, but you don't think critically from 11 to 1150 and then go to math, right? It's not a, it's not a course. <laughs> it's, 
you, you have to think critically while you're in math and you have to collaborate while you're in science and you have to, and what we have to do is really start thinking about how these skills are so intertwined with the subject matter without changing whatever anybody's curriculum or content is. Far be it from us to say that that's the thing that has to change. We, we saw how Common Core went around the country. Um, but you can do any curriculum and sprinkle these lessons and practice these skills into those existing lessons. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we've been trying to advocate for and share how excited we are about the opportunity for more kids to get these skills. Kids with means, uh, upper income kids get these skills through sports or through um, extracurricular music classes or travel or church or whatever those things are. And the, the low income, the other kids who don't have as many opportunities, who also tend to struggle with the academics and some of the other technical, the ability to have technical skills when they show up for the workforce, also don't have as many durable skills. And so here we are, we want to give, we want to create pathways for everybody and, and all, every aspect of the system is inequitable. And so it, it's, it's mm-hmm. something we get really excited about because these skills really can give somebody a shot. Um, and, and we've actually had conversations with folks who, once we start sharing the difference between, you know, what we call durable and technical skills, very, very successful folks have looked at us and you can see the light bulb go off above their head. And they said, oh my gosh, I just figured it out. I don't have any technical skills. I built my entire career on durable skills. And I think we can all recognize that yeah. people who are just so good at these types of skills, they're so strong that that they they were able to build a career on it without really having technical expertise. I probably no technical expertise is a bit of exaggeration, but it's a great it's a great way to sort of see the way that that the, the power that these skills have. I didn't call them durable skills, but I've been trying to integrate creativity and and all of these in within the curriculum, embed it so it's all there. And um it's just teachers are are kind of stuck because they have so mandates to you know meet the curriculum by a certain time or whatever and they've lost they've lost that oomph whatever it is you know to to get the kids excited and kids are kind of especially when they reach a certain age they get kind of like oh i just will do school to get through it kind of feeling so do you have as part of american america succeeds or any of the state programs, examples that you share and possible ways of they taken lessons and actually demonstrated how they can integrate some of, you know, embed some of these skills? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, we wish we'd have started this a lot earlier. A lot of this work came out of the pandemic and realizing the big system change was going to be difficult for schools because we, we didn't know where so many students were. We had a lot of learning loss. You had food insecurity. You had um, DEI issues, um, there, right. There's just a lot of stuff that's come out. So, so we've started, we really got into this after that, um, coming out of the pandemic and, and if we had, if we had had more time, some of the things that we're working on now are the things that I wish we could give as more examples, but, but one that has really struck with me, a great anecdote was we were sharing this and a teacher came up, uh, after a presentation and, and shared with us, they said, you know, this makes sense. I actually can just ask the kids to keep doing what they're doing in terms of learning the subject matter, but ask them to do it in a slightly different way. And she said, I'm a math teacher. 
And if I gave some kids an assignment to solve a series of problems, and this can be fractions or geometry or trigonometry, it doesn't matter. She said, I can put groups of three kids together and ask them to solve a group of problems multiple ways, because there's not just one way to solve a math problem, right? Mm -hmm. I really want them to problem solve, not just come up with the right answer. And then I want them to present how they came up with those answers back to the class. And she said, Here I am as a math teacher, and I'm having them practice collaboration, critical thinking, problem solving, and communication presentation skills. And that's that's just the greatest example. And, and, And teachers are so creative, and they've got this. And what we're trying to now collect is all types of those lesson prompts and things that could be sprinkled in. And there should be dozens and dozens of these for every subject matter so that somebody can do this in their English class and their history class and their science class. And and that those little things just on top of whatever the lesson is become so powerful in having kids practice and also learn the language of Mm. I am practicing collaboration. I have just practiced communication skills. And a lot of this is happening in schools. I don't want to. It is. But many times we're not making sure kids know what they're doing and putting these types of words on them of, of what they're going to be asked to do as they, as they get older and ultimately into the workforce. Well, I've written two books on personalized learning. And <laughs> what I'm seeing is that there's, there's a uh, kind of a correlation here because what you're trying to do is meet the needs of all, all students and try to find ways to get them, I don't want to say ga- engage in learning, but at least own the learning so they can drive it. And that way it's changing the roles of the teacher. The problem is the teacher hasn't been trained that way and hasn't been trained the way this teacher did that with the math. I just love it. But it's like they almost have to have different types of, I call it professional learning, not professional development. It's ongoing, embedded with a, and also collaborate with another teacher so you can actually have time to see what's going on and observe it. And then you can take it back into your classroom. We just don't give them the time to do this. No, that's so important. And you're, and you're spot on. Um, and so we realize, and I think, I think that, you know, the desire, this is when we, when we talk about this and we, we meet with teachers or we meet with school leaders or, or anybody else, there's, there's never any pushback about whether or not kids need these skills to be successful. Anybody who has spent any time in the professional world realizes their colleague, they want their colleagues to have these skills, right? So this is, uh, this is, the, this is a net benefit of, of society and democracy. In fact, I, I just because it just popped into my head, I have to share. We were sharing this with a group of folks and they were saying, and, and we were going through the, the benefits of this and we were talking primarily about the net benefits for the individuals. And they said, well, think about, you know, if there's, I have four words for you, if, if you wanna know why these are, these are critically important skills. Jury of your peers. <laughs> and I mean, uh, that is, that is as, uh, as, as powerful of an anecdote as I can share as to why these skills are super important. Well, it's interesting because I've been able to travel around our country and some other countries to and visit schools and just see how people are trying to do these things and different, you know, just across. Some are taking it and making it so they're project-based. 
So they're working collaboratively. They're looking at ways that they can make it problem-based and challenge-based, but they're also looking at ways that kids can, I mean, critical thinking is out the door. We need to get bring it back. And they don't know how to do it because teachers are now getting more requirements and mandates on them to meet so many things because of learning loss you mentioned. I forget when someone says learning loss, I, I try to say, do you realize it was a worldwide pandemic? Everybody has had some trauma from this. And you talked about marginalized, you know, populations. I live in Oakland, California, and I worked in the schools for many, many years. Those, the kids are smart. It doesn't, they just need to be given the opportunities. And so I'm just, I'm really excited. I just can't tell you how excited I am about this. <laughs> well, we, right. When it, when it works is when we can all be super excited about it and yeah. have some, um, uh, hopefully celebrate some of the, the opportunities that, that are, that are created by this, because I think yeah. it's, a, it's a big deal. There's, um, there, there's some really cool things happening too. Like a number of states or or even districts now are creating what they call portraits of a graduate. So what would we want somebody mm-hmm. to look like when they graduate from school? Um, and some of these portraits are spectacular. And we've been we've been contacted by a number of uh, states, in fact, and and districts who who have wonderful portraits. Um, we were just looking at one the other day that had six of the durable skills embedded in the portrait. And our question was. This is fantastic. What's happening in the education, in the in terms of education for these for these young people that will make them look like this portrait? And their answer was, well, nothing. Where there's like we haven't changed the system yet to to prepare somebody <laughs> to look like the portrait, but we've got a really good portrait of what we know we'd like somebody to look like. Um, <laughs> maybe that's a great first step, I think, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that we know what, what, what we're after. I think that that, again, goes sort of to the purpose of education. And if we believe that that purpose is changing and it's reflected in this portrait, then, then we've got a good first step. And maybe that's going to open the door for some of these other things. But your questions have been spot on about how do we make sure that it gets into teachers' hands, that teachers have the the tools that they need. We'd love to develop more of those ourselves and distribute those through some type of professional learning or other things. But we're also really confident that this can happen anywhere. It doesn't need a formalized way of thinking about it. We have a wheel on our our website, durableskills.org, if anybody wants to check it out. And we've had some teachers ask for just a printout of the wheel that they hang in the classroom and, and just sort of pick pick an item off of the wheel and practice it in the class. So, right, we, and, and we know that in the U.S., right, there's there's no centralized, big federal push in, in education. And even states, if something good is happening in their neighbor's state, they think that they're a very special snowflake and their state is completely different. And yet there's more similarities than differences, but everybody wants to do it their own way. Well, we're going to put that picture of the durable skills, you know, the circle, the wheel, you said. And we're going to put that on that post that we're putting together so we can at least point people to some of the wonderful things that you're doing with America's Seeds. But it's like the, the some of the questions that's still in my head right now is that you talked about having these partnerships. And I feel that schools can't do this alone anymore. So you're, you're the hub, you said, America's disease is the hub that has all the research, the 
the partners that are already doing this and working with schools and also employ employers and maybe corporations that are looking for these dur- looking for people with these durable skills and what are they doing how are they supporting i just wonder how these partnerships are working yeah so um so we've we've learned we've learned a lot, and so um, on the education side, it's organizations like NAF and the CAPS Network and Project Lead the Way. A lot of project based learning really gets this. They get embedding these. What we need is traditional classrooms to embrace them at the same uh, with, with the same enthusiasm. Um, on the on the workforce side, CompTIA is is America Succeeds partner on this. CompTIA is the second largest certifier of technical certificates behind Microsoft. So they're they're a gold standard in terms of having a um, cybersecurity or a Python or a C++ uh, certification. CompTIA and, and, and other employers, this is a big employer group on the tech side, right, have recognized that you can't just have the technical, you need the durable that goes along with it. We've talked to IBM. IBM really believes in and moving towards skills-based hiring. And one of the other things that just sort of has happened at the same time we've been working on this is six states have now removed a college degree as a requirement for a state job. Mm. We'll have to find out more about which states. Yes. Well, so I I always forget one, but it started in Maryland, Uh, Maryland, Colorado, Utah, Alabama, Pennsylvania, and Alaska and Georgia has a bill moving through the legislature right now. Um, And, and right. There's, there's a couple of things that are super interesting about this is they're, they're creating pathways for non-degree holders to get into good state jobs. But one of the things that they struggle with is demonstrating quality of other certifications. And even as they move towards this, we know that what employers are looking for are some of these durable skills and sadly, a lot of employers use a four-year degree as a proxy for having durable skills. If nothing else, it demonstrated some grit, some determination to get through four years. You probably get, were able to solve some problems. You probably developed some communication skills in working your way through there. And it, it may or may not be a great proxy for, for having these, but so, currently it's the only proxy for having these. And so our partner, CompTIA, mm-hmm. we're working with them to develop some type of a an assessment, a way that somebody can find out their strengths as it relates to, I'm really good at collaboration, metacognition, and a growth mindset. And letting people put those skills on a resume, lead with their strengths as it relates to these durable skills. And if you're going to hire based on skills, be able to demonstrate some of these skills and have them validated. So we really believe it is that thread that goes from K-12 to post-secondary into the workforce. And if you change careers or you move jobs or you transfer across the country, or you may not take your, your, your technical skills with you, but you're going to take all of your durable skills with you every time you go. And, and that's the power of these. That's why they're durable. And that's why we believe so strongly in making sure that, that particularly young people, but un- and underemployed, this is this is huge to de- to develop those skills upskill. Boy, I could talk to you all day. Unfortunately, I might not be able to do that because time's running out. But I, what I do love is that uh, there's there's so many resources that I I went to americansucceeds.org and I could see so much there that we have to point people to that. But also to find out 
um, where you're going to be speaking next and what you're doing so we can follow, you know, all of the work you're doing. It's just wonderful, Tim. This is kind of what I was hoping for because I feel like my, I'll just give you an example of my son. He was an actor, lost, you know, an actor, a musician, and the arts just went away during COVID. So he went to a coding academy and he also has these skills as an actor. And it's a, and a, um, he also was a musical director. Well, he has a, seven or eight of the durable skills. So they, they're keeping them. And you know how the tech, what's happening in the tech uh, uh, world right now, a lot of people are losing their jobs because of, um, well, just, I don't even need to tell you why. But it's, the thing is, is they need these durable skills so they can find other jobs. So there's, there's a whole bunch of people out of there that have been laid off. So that's another piece that we got to look at. How we help people, because the world is changing so much. Yeah, amen. And and um, your son sounds like he's he's steeped in the durable skills, and then the and then a certificate like that right opens a lot of doors. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our research, interestingly, since you since you mentioned that, um, what we did is we tried to correlate these. A lot of people refer to jobs of the future or the jobs that are are less at risk of of automation or mm-hmm. or right now when we look at chat GPT and some of these other things, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, I feel like the robots are coming. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but you really the the correlation is very strong between mid mid skill mid wage jobs and high skill high wage jobs that need more of these durable skills mm-hmm. than low-skill, low-wage jobs. Low-skill, low-wage jobs tend to ask for less of these durable skills. The jobs of the future that people talk about, the ones that we want that create economic mobility, that create pathways to success, to family-sustaining wages, require more of these skills. Mm-hmm. So really, they're sort of future-proofing. So again, right? The durability of these things are just not up for debate. They they are the things that we will come back to over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be able to develop these skills, teach these skills in a classroom setting. Have pra- you practice these skills across a lifetime? Nobody's ever a master of any of these skills. Um, I practice these skills all the time. Um, I'm and, doing it right and, now. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the fun of it. Um, Right. So we, so we'll build on these over a course of a lifetime, but, but where would we expect somebody to be when they get into those early phase jobs? And if they're really far off, it's just, they're just tough to hire. Well, we got to do something. And I'm so excited that Tim, you were here and we could share at least get people to really look at what you're talking about with the durable skills and these partnerships and the jobs for the future. I mean, because our kids it's their future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, this has just been delightful. It's been so fun to connect yeah. and, uh, and share and chat. And I love your questions. And uh, this, is, this is a good, good experience. Thank you. Oh, I love it, Tim. Is there, now, the best way to get a hold of you is if anyone's is, is the website or anywhere else. What, what else? Yeah, through americasucceeds.org is the best way to get a hold of us. Um, I've got a talented team around me of folks that, that believe in this stuff. Uh, we live it. We wake up. We're very mission, you know, as a mission-driven organization, this is why we come to work. Um, and we're super grateful for the opportunity to do this work every day. It's really been a, a, a pleasure. And, and uh, we hope we're making a little bit of a difference. You are. 
and you will continue. And thank you so much for being here with me today. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Tim Taylor and his story. You know, I was surprised how much we had in common. I really appreciate Tim's passion about the durable skills that all learners need to reach their potential. I learned more about the story behind America Succeeds. So make sure you listen and also check out the blog post that goes with this podcast. That's on barbabray.net. You're going to love it. And Tim helped me write it. It would be awesome if you subscribe to my podcast. I'd be really grateful if you wrote a review. And you're welcome to subscribe to my website at barbabray.net to receive updates, resources, stories, and more podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Keep sharing your story. And please stay safe and be well.